What's up? We want to give thanks to all of our amazing sponsors. Piper Diamonds, your hometown jeweler. Bling, bling at PiperDiamondCo.com. TheCardenasLawGroup.com, your concierge level service, which is for all your personal injury needs. And Compton Broomhead Dental at MunsterDental.com. This is top level luxury dental care. And Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Safety first since 1927. All right, Kelly Cardenas podcast. Let's go. I mean, watching him, uh, I was telling him in the hallway that, you know, watching you do what you do, it, it really, um, I know maybe it sounds strange, but it really freed me today. Um, it freed me and made me want to just push to a completely different place, because every time I get around him, I realize that I don't really know anything at all, and uh, I just want to be around him more and more and more, because he just makes me, uh, like, he makes me feel that there's, like, he always lifts the roof off of everything. And did he lift the roof off for us today? Yes. Yeah. Let me interrupt you. I knew this was going to happen. We were going to fight for the microphone. I've never really said I was a great hairdresser. People talk shit on the internet. I agree with them. I'm not a very good hairdresser. And I'm a very good coach. So I'm very good, kind of like he is. We can watch what you're doing. So I used to say back in the day, I'm not Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods' daddy. He never won a golf tournament, but he really knew how to coach people. So what I love about being a coach is when I see what you're doing, and on some of you, when I was really working with you, I could see what you were doing that was creating some of the chaos that was going on. So it's a case of not necessarily you know, being the best at something that makes you a great teacher. For me to learn how to finger wave didn't come from a platform artist like Ginny Bra that could finger wave anything, eyebrows even. It came from me being in a school and watching a kid going through their first finger wave set, doing it so slowly that I go, I can see what that is. So sometimes to be a great teacher, you can be so good at stuff sometimes that people hate you. They just disconnect, go, I don't cut hair that well, I'm not, I can't learn from you anymore. I'm just saying that for us, I think our commonality is we see in other people where they can create this greatness. And I think it's a big part of the coaches. And I think if you work for Kelly and you know me, we've got a lot in common. Both never shut up, uh, but we also see a lot of value in other folks, so I think it's a big part of it. And I just think that I love working with you all today. Some of you really tricked me. I thought you'd been doing hair for a few years, and some of you are just out of school. Uh, you know, that's a great thing. If you can trick a guy like me, everything in being a hairdresser is about having authority. When you're selling products, it's about having authority. Uh, a lot of people pick up products and they don't even know the name of them, and then tell the client they're my favorite product. You don't even know its name. That's not authority. So authority as a hairdresser, when you're talking and consulting with people, you've got to develop that authority. And nothing, trainings like this helps you give that confidence, so you stand smarter. And maybe when you're around me or Kelly, you get a little scared about it, but when we're not there, you've got to trust yourself. You've got to trust your instinct, and don't forget your instinct. Your instinct's what drove you to beauty school. It wasn't your ideas of precision cutting or what it is. I like a good precise cut. I work with some people who cut hair so well and so beautifully. I enjoy that. But I also think in the internet, that's all I see. I don't see alternatives. So I just try to bring something that people don't often think about. I think it makes a big difference. So you guys did awesome today. Good job, all of you. So you inspire all of us. You inspire a whole uh, industry. You inspire people that don't even do hair. Like when we go, when we go places or you travel around, you inspire people um, all the time. So where do you draw yours from? Like because when a lot of times when you're out front, um, then you know you're the one that's constantly coming up with new ideas or pushing the pace or pushing the, the envelope that way. Where does that happen for you? And who are the people that you look to, or what are the things that you look to that make you push? I've been a big proponent of Instagram. Uh, a lot of guys in my era are, you know that song video killed the radio star? And Instagram killed a lot of guys like me, but not me. Because I actually use it as a tool. I have visibility to things I would never normally have seen. One of my favorite uh, guys, 
Manure? Manure. Manure from Labrador. Tex wrestling with that one. Um, this guy's from Lebanon, I don't know him. He's got probably six million followers. He does the most salon beautiful hair I've ever seen. And I know he's watched me because I see him do cheesy highlights. I know he knows who we are, but he has got some of the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. Uh, Roji, R-O-G-I. So this is stuff I would send to my son or other hairdressers. This would be stuff, instead of me saying, go read this book, I would tag different things and show you different people. So if you like ethnic hair, I'd show you people that did that well. Uh, if you like people who talk color, I'd show you that. One of my kind of, uh, we talked about Gina Bianca, the hair doctor. She's dirty around the gills, but she talks dollar bills. Well, you have it, honey. Did you show them already today? If you can take a picture of it, you can check them out later. You guys know we used to have a friend called Takashi. Takashi watched Roji and said to me he was quitting doing hair after he watched this kid. Now Takashi was pretty awesome. He is a brilliant hairdresser. But seeing somebody else of double power, it's like as if me and Takashi had a baby. That's who this guy is. He kind of looks like a Japanese Michael Jackson. Uh, he dresses like him quite a lot. He does things with Lego bricks on the hair, sardines. He cuts hair like magical little monster. Uh, not precision, just doing things that will rip your heart out. He's probably the most creative guy. When he hit 100,000 followers, he took a doll that was kind of bigger than a normal doll, and with chopsticks, he styled the girl's hair. And it was like the most <laughs> flawless thing. So when you get on his page, go back to 100,000 followers, and he will blow your mind. Uh, Gina talks about money. Uh, these are our sort of Paul Mitchell people. Uh, hair industry, we've been doing stuff for them. Uh, podcasts and stuff. Yeah. But check out some of these over here. Michelle Thompson, ethnic hair, if you want to see some of the most beautiful ethnic hair. So what I love about being inspired is on my little phone, I get all this stuff just coming to me. So I follow certain things. It's not about what I post. So one of my staff said, I don't want to post on Instagram. I said, it's not about posting. It's about you getting what it is you need. So uh, Joshua Monaco is one of my favorite male hair cutters. So I have my sons in barber school, I have them watch that. When he was trying to learn diagramming, I have them watch people. So that's a big source of keeping excited and having visibility. But the other thing that keeps me young and fresh is hanging out with young people. I think that's the key. It sounds a little perverted, right? I'm hanging out with young people. But, you know, we've got kids, and I'll be honest with you, I'm an older guy, I'm 57 years old, and there's sometimes I'm making analogies of songs or a movie and the kids are looking at me going, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's amazing how much disconnect you get. But what I love about the enthusiasm, like when you're watching a kid like him when he was so enthusiastic, what was it once I heard him say, uh, he only knows how to cut one length, but he, what was it he'd say? He only knew one length hair, but he could sell people on one length hair. He was like, he was the best salesman in the world. So I just think that as you, get people's energy, that are excited to be here, that sort of comes across. Uh, when you look at a show like Caper, any of you guys ever been to Caper? The enthusiasm of those young kids make me want to go on forever. Uh, last year I got to interview the alumni, and these are people, uh, one, one girl's name, Lacey, am I right? Lacey? Yes. Okay, Lexi or Lacey? Lexi, Lexi, Lexi. I knew it was so close. She's Lexi. barely three feet tall. And I asked her what her biggest challenge was in school. She said she once had to do a spiral perm, and the girl's hair was longer than she was. Not <laughs> <laughs> a great story. Uh, another young lady um, who wanted to go into aesthetics, she happens to be in a wheelchair, went to many schools. They said, we can't take your money. You can't really do this job if you're going to be in a wheelchair. Have you ever had a facial? What does the girl do? She sits. I would imagine if you're in a wheelchair, be an esthetician. She makes over $100,000 a year. Paul Mitchell, the school, took her money, gave her a great education. The lady is killing it. So what I love is defying people. I love when people say, you're never going to make it, or my dad said, you're never going to make money being a hairdresser. Uh, you know, it's about defying some people who didn't believe in you at first. So my mom said, you fi I finally made my weirdness pay off, she told me one day. So I just think that there's inspiration around it is how you choose to see stuff. So somebody said, well, you seem positive. What happens if you're in traffic? I look at all the people around me. I don't do their hair. You know, it's how you look at shit. And if you see everything is broken, it is as broke as you can imagine. But I tend to have a very optimistic mind. So I tend to see the good. Even when people say something negative of a person, I'll find value in it. So try to train your mind to find value 
And again, that enthusiasm could never be replaced. If I could go back in time and get back that kid I was, because uh, we had a lot in common. I was just, my partner was ready to retire when I started working with her. She did it for 10 more years, guess why? Because I was having so much freaking fun doing it. So my enjoyment made her enjoy it 10 years longer than she wanted to. And I think that's what it brings. So it's the energy and the enthusiasm. And I think that's why for Kelly and I, we always want to pick a, an apple from the tree, not the barrel. We prefer to have youth come in because they bring that enthusiasm. If I was to hire a guy at my age to come work in the salon, they're already going to be jaded. Tell me, oh, I've got a new idea, that won't work. I've tried that before. It just becomes a negativity. So I'd just rather take a brand new kid and take them on that journey, I think would make the biggest difference. And I think we have that in common. Where do you think the positivity comes from? Where do you, I mean, do you think that's born in? Do you think you just were born with it? You just have it? Or was that something that you trained over the years? And where do you think it came from? Some of it. And I think Todd, Ted. <laughs> uh, Paul Mitchell is a very forward-focused culture. We've learned everything on the walls here is about forward focus, everything we learn in our company. So it's, you've got a choice of how you look at stuff. And you know, certain people don't have that ability, but you could never go talk negativity to JP. You know, if we burned the warehouse down, I don't know who would have the heart to tell him. You know what I mean? Just you just don't talk shit to JP. He's such a forward-focused visionary. You don't go and go, ah, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't you don't cry to him. And I just think that to me is if we can train ourselves to see more good in people, you'll start to become a habit. So we used to talk about in our culture about 10% shifts. So it's a how you choose to look at it. And not everybody does it naturally. Um, you know, some people get really, you know, they think they're positive, but they don't realize that half the shit coming out of their mouth is very negative. So it's controlling it. My wife and I made a deal when we get married. We don't say bad shit to each other. We just don't because you can never retract it later. So I'm sure she must think sometimes he is a dumb shit, but she never said it to my face. And I think it's a very important part. It's a conditioning of the mind. So the more you sort of go in and say, oh, I'm being negative, just take a minute and think it down and change the way you're thinking about it. And you can see it happening. But our culture with JP's leadership from running the schools, uh, it just doesn't behoove us to have negative thoughts. Yeah, we can all get into the drama of it, but. I just think it's partly in my DNA and partly it's what I've been exposed to being with this company for nearly 35 years. We celebrate 40 years next year wow. and I've been there for 35 of those. I actually worked on stage with Paul Mitchell. Uh, he called me Andrew. <laughs> because I'm a positive guy, so he going, you've never got my name right. The patron saint of Scotland is Saint Andrew. So I just thought it was a message. <laughs> so uh, he was a brilliant man, but again, that, that historical part that I've had the opportunity, I get to protect Angus Mitchell now, and he protects my son. And my son asked me, why does Angus take such good care of me? It's because I've protected Paul's son, and Angus absolutely has extended to my son to make sure he's taken care of. He takes him to Clippers games, uh, Angus buys me the greatest Christmas presents ever and my son came over one year and I bought him a computer and all this stuff and I said well let me show you what Angus gave me I come out with this great jacket on he said I wish I had friends like Angus <laughs> <laughs> so I disowned my son <laughs> so it, it's a choice and I would say hairdressers can get caught in negativity traps so easy you know uh, we used to call the break room the not making money room. In fact, people would talk so much shit in the break room that I lowered the wall so I could hear it. So I think if you can talk shit about it, the least I could do is hear it. You know? So the, the reality of it is, I just think that we've got to control our mind and it's okay to think dumb shit. It's okay to think it, but you don't have to say it. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. My heart gets hurt on Instagram when people write negativity. And it's no different from saying negativity to somebody's face. So I just think of you control the words you use, just like you control it when you type it. I just think we've got to be more mindful of the things we say to one another. And I think it's a thing that's, as hairdressers, because we're healers, I think we've got to understand that. And if you're going to tolerate the negativity, it'll never go away. You've got to find a front sight on it. And, you know, I think what makes great cultures is having that belief system. Not easy to have. Um, but it's easy to snap yourself out of it and find yourself thinking differently just by hanging around with like-minded people. You know, so if you're hanging out with gossipy people, you'll want to gossip. But you hang out with people who adore you'll say, shit, I don't miss that a bit. It doesn't get you anywhere. So, you know, just think about your teams and who you're with. But 
having that good attitude is critical. And I don't think I'd be the global director without it. When John Paul called me, we were in Vegas, me and you, Shauna. Shauna came running back, oh, JP's on the phone. How fast do you think you run when JP's on the phone? <laughs> and I said, what's up? He said, hey, it's John Paul. I said, I think I'd know your voice anywhere. He said, I am going to change your life today. I'm going to make you artistic director of the company. Two things about that. One, I was pretty young. And people in the team, some old regionals said, oh, he's too young for that. He shouldn't be our director yet. And then somebody said, well, he did 40 classes last month. And JP said, that sounds exactly like the artistic director. But here's what he told me. I'm going to give you this job. It's going to change your life. And as long as you don't get a big head, you'll have the job forever. So also, if you're going to be a superstar, there's got to be humility. There's got to be a humbleness. And I think that a lot of people, when they get big, when most artists do shows like mine, they leave through the back door like they're, you know, Lady Gaga. Probably more like Elton John. We always leave through the front of the house. I always go out to the people. We always take pictures. Almost every show I do, I, I leave through the front of the stage, not through the back door. So it's being humble for 35 years has kept me in the position because people throw stuff, oh, you're the best, you're this, but you start to believe that, then you can be really reading your own press and making a mistake. So I treat every hair show, everything I do, just like it's the first time. I want to do the best job I can, but it, you've got to have a humbleness. So as you start to hit the numbers, don't let it go to your head that you're hitting the numbers. Be thankful, but don't let your ego get trapped into this. A lot of hairdressers get their ego caught into it, and after a while, <coughs> you make a mistake on a client's hair. And you're like, that's what you asked for, you bitch. No, right? <laughs> that's your ego talking. Because if you're smart about it, you want to, if you've made a mistake, you better get on your knees, put a smile on it. I am so sorry. I mean, but I see hairdressers arguing with clients. That's what you said you wanted. That is not a positive, healthy outcome. So always looking for a healthy outcome. And I think that when you really become good with people, clients are going to do crazy things. So if you've got a good attitude, you'll be able to adapt to it. And a lot of people, um, you know, just start to take it out. I have clients that come to me that said their last hairdresser was so mean to them. And I'm like, how could you be a hairdresser doing people's hair and be mean to your clients? She said, I told him what I wanted. He told me to shut up. <coughs> oh my God, my whole heart hurt for my whole industry. This is a servant's position we're in. We are servants to the people. He represents that very well. I'm a servant to my guests. I'm a servant to the audience. I just think you've got to have a servant's heart. And a lot of people, once they get a little bigger and carried away with themselves, they start to think they're, they're entitled. They've got more empowerment. They've got all this stuff coming their way. They deserve it. And I'm just saying one trick as you get onto that merry-go-round of success, don't let it go to your head. Still be humble, still be gentle, still be gracious to the kids that work with you, especially the young kid. Uh, I've never been mean to an assistant. I had a trick when they used to assist me if they messed up. I used to hate my dentist because he used to just scorn his assistant in front of me. And I always thought, oh, that's a dumbass. Mm -hmm. So when they would pass me foil and they were a little slow, I'd just take the tail comb and jab it into their leg a little bit. <laughs> so that gave them the lesson, but I never verbally said, hey, come on, catch up here. But uh, somebody told me somebody was mean to an assistant in my salon. If I'm never going to be mean to an assistant, nobody in my company can. Mm -hmm. JP's not running around being mean to people, so anybody who works for JP can't be mean. I'm just saying it kind of works from the boss all the way through. Mm -hmm. So I just think that it's an attitude, it's a constant thing. And having a servant's heart will take you all the way and saying yes to everything you can. Uh, but the servant part is, I think, a lot of times what people forget. Uh, we have absolutely chosen a profession that we are servants to the people, touching hearts and souls. Hairdressing isn't tough. People are tough. And with a great attitude, you'll get more out of people and more love, more gratuities, more referrals. Uh, it's kind of like Wynn's book, Be Nice or Else. Um, it's something as simple as being nice to people is what gets me 200 bucks a haircut. None of them want anything scientific. None of them are looking for a mohawk. None of them are looking for anything. You know, just niceness. My son watched me a few weeks ago and said, I could have taken a picture of your client's hair at any time because they were enjoying the experience so much. And that's what you've got to look for. You know, sometimes people say to me, I love the business so much. I'm like, well, tell your face. If you really loved it, when people in skill say, I love skills so much, and I say, show me by bringing in clients. If you really love it, you'd be doing these things. If you really love it, you've got to believe in it. And if you're not in love with it and you're pretending, your career probably won't last as long as you'd like. It's just not one of those. You can't fake it. You've got to, got to really love people. Uh, I met a girl in Chicago. She goes, I'm going to work at Morgue. I was like, that's a great job. If you hate people, go work for the city morgue. <laughs> 
like that, burn, burn her hair out, nobody cares. But to really be a great hairdresser, you've got to love on people. And I think it's a big part that in our culture, when people say we love the salon, it's because we're very loving to each and every guest. And it's not just my guest, it's everybody's getting the kind words. Uh, we had one of our top guests that just, you know, she's maybe 70, 75. Which one? They're all, they're all up there. <laughs> she just lost her son. Oh, Marilyn Bosky. Yeah, she's a client, comes in, brings the whole staff cookies every time she comes in. Oh she lost her son, and that's always tragic anyway, but, um, you know, we went out and Mary got her a beautiful candle, a card and all the stuff that you would do just to, you know, it, it just, there's compassion in this business. It's not just doing the hairs. I don't want to be a session guy. I don't want to work in New York because people are mean at that shit. They are absolutely mean. Directors are mean. Photographers can be mean. The whole vicious cycle. If you're a hairdresser on set, you're the lowest guy in the totem pole. It's kind of like in construction. Plumbers are the lowest. Electricians are the highest. But on a photo shoot, often the hairdresser will oh, just bring the hair out like it's just going to come out like it's a you know pop-up toaster oven you're using. Uh, I just think that being a salon hairdresser means you've got to love on people. If you love on people, you will build a clientele. You will get all your dreams will come true. And along the way, you'll learn how to be an awesome hairdresser. Because mm -hmm. without doing a lot of hair, you'll never become great. Mm -hmm. And right when you think, oh, five is a lot. If you did 10, you'd be twice as good. Mm -hmm. If you did 20, be, I mean, we can go on all day. Doing five is awesome, 10 is better. And I just think that's the kind of way to do it. And as you apply that to your life, you end up working with fewer clients as you get older, so you get more value out of each guest. Then you get to spend even more time with them. And that also comes down to picking the guests you like. So a walk-in client picks you, but if you're going to solicit in a supermarket or when you're walking the dog, those are the best clients to pick up as people that you've got a relationship with, you know, and I think it makes a difference there. So I've heard you say it at shows a lot where, and I think you say it tongue-in-cheek, but uh, you've said that uh, people ask you, oh, did you ever imagine that this could happen to you? And you say, of course I did, I can see it. When you were in hair school, when you were growing up as a kid, say you were seven, ten years old, it would be hard to believe that at ten years old that you could see the amount of impact that you've had on the world, the industry, and what you've been able to accomplish. Like, that you would be able to see that. Would that be a correct kind of statement? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, if you could go back to that seven or ten-year-old little kid, what advice would you give to seven or ten-year-old Robert, knowing what you know now? Keep being weird because it worked out later. <laughs> my brothers used to say that. My mom used to pretend I was a customer in her store until everybody left because she was so embarrassed by my image. <laughs> and that never changed till her dying day. She still was embarrassed about the way I looked sometimes. Uh, even JP, if he's honest, he doesn't like my <coughs> outfits and hats. When I'm just hanging with him at the pool and my hair's back, he's like, you look so handsome. I mean, he's writing me love notes. <laughs> and I know I'm looking handsome, but he's mostly just anti-hat, anti-weirdness. And whenever I look handsome, he's like, I just want to tell you how handsome. He makes a point to go out of his way. And, uh, he just, I'm a little weird. But in my job, if I was your accountant, you're going to jail. But in my job... <laughs> It's a perfect sort of situation. So I think that as a kid, I got fired a lot. Um, I don't think in my mind I was ever going to be successful. I don't know if any of you ever sat there going, I don't think I'm ever going to amount to anything. I left high school at 16 without any real formal education. Um, I had a friend that wanted to be a hairdresser, so I wanted to be a hairdresser. I was too chicken shit to ask the guy for the job. So eventually I didn't ask for the job, but the job I wanted in Scotland. And years later, me and the guy that won the salon became friends, Urban Rusk was his name. And I told him, I wanted to work for you as a kid. He said, I'll take you now. I said, no, I'm too late. <laughs> uh, but I would see all these cool looking people and I didn't know what they did. And I said, what do they do? They said, they're hairdressers. I said, I want to do that. I just thought I could have a lifestyle where I can dress the way I want to be, have your hair the way you want it, wear hats, do whatever it is you want because you're the brand of you. And I think it comes with a rite of passage when I met this kid, he's not what you see in front of him. He looked like he could be advertising milk. He had the little mustache and everything. <laughs> now you see him today, and we're very much in the same character club. We've evolved into it, but you know, it's a rite of passage. We used to have kids come in 20 years ago. When they had tattoos, we covered them. When they had piercings and all that stuff, we took them out until you got the right. And some people see me, and especially in the skills, they'll see me go, I'm gonna start being Robert. It's a rite of passage. You don't just get to do it. 
Uh, it takes a bit of growth to get into it. If you're going to look like me, you've already got an obstacle. <laughs> I'm able to overcome it, but you may not. So when you get too crazy, too weird, then unless your personality can make up for that, I'm able to deceive people. I'll do a thing at Sport Clips, you've done that. I do a whole seminar in front of 6,000 people. Half the people in the room aren't hairdressers. They will not make eye contact with me. They're so sure they're gonna catch whatever it is shit I got. <laughs> Later after the show, I get these emails, apologies saying, oh my God, we misjudged you. We thought you were some crazy freak. And then we heard you speak and you're the most loving guy that cares about an industry we've ever heard. So I use this as, it's a misdirection, is to bring people in, I'm the Pied Piper. But then as I speak and I talk the truth, then people go, oh my God, he's a, you know, he's a much nicer guy than he appears from a distance. And I think that's a big part to me. I think that I use this as a mechanism, but I know how to compensate for it. Because if I had no skill, I had no word ability, I probably dress a lot more conservative, but I got a mouth on me. I can handle an audience pretty well. And I think it kind of comes with that. But a lot of kids see guys like us and like, oh, I'm gonna get weird. Uh, your time to get weird is when you've got a full book. Your time to get weird is when you've done it. Not to get weird to build a clientele because that is the opposite of helping you. It seems like every, when we were around, I used to wear fake tattoo shirts. We probably created this epidemic. <laughs> now I think before people get a license, they get a tattoo, a few piercings. Now I'm ready to be a hair guy. Uh, I'm just saying, at what cost you can scare people off. So if you're wearing tattoos, cover them a bit while you're building. But once you're in demand, we call it red, you can get to be yourself. You know, it's just one of those things, but don't rush it, <coughs> don't rush it. Uh, so many people kind of, especially in our day, we had a lot of people dress like me, walk like me, just whatever I was doing, they were doing. It it's just not, it's not, you just look weird. Uh, <laughs> I got weird with a difference, so it kind of works for me, yeah? It does make a big difference to it. So, uh, I used to tell this story, I said I got fired from so, so many jobs, but I had a good attitude. I, my dad said, you got fired? I said, no, I'm more of a professional restarter. <laughs> but, but, you know, an old guy in this company told me I was going to be genius at whatever I did, but that was not true. It wasn't until I found this industry that I found my calling. If I hadn't went to beauty school like all of you, I would never have become Robert Cronings. So when people say, what else would you have done? Somebody said, you could be a comedian, but I was not funny back then. It became funny to more hairdressers, making hairdressers laugh. I can make hairdressers choke out on jokes that they've heard me say a hundred times because I commit to them. But to me, if I hadn't went to beauty school, so I came to America at 24 years old. Uh, first thing I did is enrolled in beauty school. Uh, I went, Kelly and I share a lot here. I started in Memphis. He came from Memphis. Uh, we both worked in a similar company called Gold Schools. Uh, when they introduce, when they say come work for their company in Memphis, before they talk about Elvis, they talk about me. You laugh, thank you. I give her a prize. Best student we ever had. So you got to begin somewhere, and when I think back in there, when, when did I know? When a student was in trouble, they didn't go to the learning leader, they came to me. And years later, this just happened maybe three years ago, maybe we were at the Atlanta beauty show yeah. called Bronner Brothers. You want to see a hair show, it's something. Mm -hmm. My teacher was there, and I put her up on stage. Her name is Margie, and she stood up there, grabbed the mic, and said, this guy's been the same from the first day of school. He's been this guy. People have been watching. People I went to school with said, I always knew you'd be this guy. I never knew at the time I was going to be this guy. It just sort of creeps up and evolves. And, um, you know, I've had Vidal Sassoon tell me I was the greatest showman in the world. That's a pretty heavy compliment. And I've had other people say, and I don't think there'll ever be another quite like you. So to kind of hang out with some of the people when you think of this, this modest little guy from a, a small town and to see that you can hang out with people like Vidal Sassoon or John Paul or Paul, uh, it, it blows my mind. Uh, we did a show where I dressed up as a transvestite clown. <laughs> Big stretch. <laughs> And after the show, me and my buddy went up to visit my mother and my mom asked me the same question. Did you ever imagine as a wee boy, you'd be traveling the world, getting pictures, working with models? I said, Mom, as a wee boy, that's all I imagined. <laughs> so this is an industry unlike any other, regardless of your skin color, your accent. If you apply yourself to the people you're here to serve, nobody can stop you. Nobody. And I think it's a very big part. And uh, for me, looking back on it, I, I didn't know I'd get to this point. Did not know. Um, and I wish I could get a redo. I wish I could start over. Because I think if I knew now, you know, back then, I, as I say, I, all I wanted to do was cut a little bit of hair and make money. I thought it was a, 
uh, a business that I could be recession, recession proof. And then it turned in because as I go to school, they bring in a tape and it's Paul Mitchell. And I see a thing called an educator, which I'd never heard of. Then I met somebody later, it was a platform artist, didn't know that existed. And then suddenly, wow, I see a red lead that was beyond the salon. And I think to my traveling record, I've traveled six and a half million miles in my career for Paul Mitchell. So the mileage I have taught, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bullet points: three, uh, three things that you think that a, a, a person in this industry should should possess. Oh, love, 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 love. That's three of them. People just know. Okay. Love. Um, yeah, you should be able to be coached. So. I've been around a long time and I'm very fortunate. I got married just last year, a year ago. JP did the ceremony for us. I mean, that's not something he does for everybody. But, um, oh, I had a point there. You're talking coaching. So love and then coaching. Yeah. Just to be clear, both me and Angus, who's the co-owner, have been redirected by JP. Okay, because I got a mouth on me and I, it's been years I, I drop those F bombs here and there. I do. I've done some shit. Um, should I give them an example? No. Yes. 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 Lori's like, oh, this is good. This is good. It's live right now in JP's house. So, yes. I wouldn't be I wouldn't get into trouble again. But there's nothing worse than when you see a guy like JP and like, how are you doing? Come here. And he just puts his arm around me and said, come here, son. Because he had to break Paul Mitchell of a habit, too. Because Paul started out, we had no company, so for Paul to go up and say the F-bomb, it was funny and hairdressers loved him, but it wasn't selling shampoo. Mm -hmm. So JP used to fine him $10,000 per show if he said bad things. <laughs> so every time I get the chat from JP, he said, what, Paul? I get the whole story from so. Paul was a bad boy, he was a bad man, and then I helped him get over it because we're now a huge corporate company, we have schools, we've got liabilities. So being redirected, and I'm just saying for me and Angus, we have both been redirected many times. So just because we appear as these perfect people doesn't mean we're perfect. Some people don't take coaching well. So it's like, oh, what, you want to be coached, and they go, oh, I don't want to hear it, or they've got a bad attitude about it. I think you've got to be able to hear a little bit of, you know, and hear some things about you could do better on and I want to say of a JP or another boss, look, if I am in trouble, there's no remorse the day after. Once it's done, it's not like they hold it against you for five years. Remember that time you said, no, I mean, it's none of that. But again, over my years of growing into being Robert Cromies, I have been redirected once or twice over stuff that would fly out of my mouth. But uh, as you become more and more aware and more conscious of it, the last thing we want to do in front of an audience is offend them. So as it became more logical, I'm just saying, don't be scared if somebody's got to redirect you. Uh, Mary got so mad at me when you first started working on because she did it a few years, and I said, you know, it was a little fuzzy, and I said, well, she said, you better teach me how. So more than just saying that's not good, she wanted to know exactly what she could do to improve it. That's why she became the queen of curly hair, or whatever you call Champion. it. Champion. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I know, but sometimes the redirection is a very hard, <clears throat> tough thing for people to take, to be criticized, you know, to be criticized. So even like that thing I talked about, you love being a hairdresser, will tell your face. So many people come into the salon and they're like, are you happy to be here? Like, yeah, but your face doesn't say so. So you may have that resting face. So you have to be coached to change that dynamic. You know, so I just think that's something you gotta be and if you fake it a little bit, it will come to you. But if you're not happy doing client's hair, it's gonna show, other people are watching you. It's not just the client you're doing. So you gotta be sincere with that. So I would say be love, it's a critical one. Coachable. Coachable. What's one from you, honey? Oh, I know what yours is. What? Being part of a team. Gonna be part of something. Oh, I would say because if you take a train off the track, it goes nowhere. And I want you to hear this because you know there's independence out there. A lot of people can do it, but it's when you're having a bad day you appreciate the team. It's when you're working three or four clients deep you appreciate the team. And I'm just saying, for me, I get to do great shows, but it's not a one-man show. Between Sundays, like show like Gathering or Caper, we have 150 people just helping me. 
I'm just saying it's not an alone sport and the more people you have involved in it, the better it gets, the more energy it becomes. And I would just say it's a team sport and being part of a team I think is a, you know, for my wife it's a deal breaker. Uh, but I just think I, I am so fortunate to be part of a team. And it's a big ass team with a big budget sometimes, but I wouldn't want to do this job alone and traveling the world like, you know, a Bible salesman or something. I would just be lonely, dying in a hotel room. Uh, I just think being part of something is the key. And the camaraderie that people develop, I think, is a big part of it. So two last questions, and then we'll take some questions from the audience. Um, so uh, why'd you fire me? I'm just joking. <laughs> JP called me and said you made a good decision and I'll tell you why. I just felt that Kelly and I were in a hostage situation. He kind of put a metaphoric gun to my head to ask me to fire somebody or else he was going to go. You hear me? And I thought, oh my God. And I would probably say to your face right now, the biggest mistake I've ever made was firing your fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about ego and people. I could have been guilty of having a bit of ego there, and I'm just saying that the, the, the different points in life, uh, it was definitely a shocker. Uh, but the reality is, I just felt like I couldn't be held hostage over something I was going to do or not do. So I just felt like I this was not. Now, was it a healthy outcome? Not really. Um, I think about it now as I say, one mistake in all my industry I've ever made. Not too bad, but I could have kept you around. You'd have taken care of me when I'm old. <laughs> taking care of you. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> hire the right people, fire the wrong people. <laughs> but just think about it. JP was fired from Redken. You guys know that? Yeah. He was fired from a lot of companies. It, it, it kind of gets you there. And in some ways, I think it propelled what you're doing right now. So it may not have been the greatest news at the time, but at the same token, look what he's done with it. I told you as we started today, nobody's done more to honor me or Paul Mitchell than this young man here. I just say that I'm his beautiful wife, Brooklyn. So, and I own those things. I own the stuff, um, you know. And I look at it now as a business owner. And as a business owner, I couldn't. I, I can imagine now what you were going through, um, because at the time. I mean, the, uh, the kid uh, that I was at odds with, him and I were two of the top earners in that particular location. And so you, I put you in a position where you had two top earners, and it was a decision that he was having to make with these. And I, you, I couldn't understand that until I got to this point. And when I look at it now, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean... It, I just want you to know that there was never, I mean, there hasn't been any ever, I mean, in, in that time, it was the only thought process in my heart and in my mind and what has continued to be is that I just seriously have wanted to honor you throughout the whole thing. So my last question. Um, is it as good as the second last one? Oh, that was Could I ask two then more? Two more? Is that okay, honey? Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, as many as you want. So, what's the, what's the crazy like? What's the craziest thing that you've been able to like pinch me experience that you've got to that you've got to experience because of these things? Like, you know, we hear about um, you know John Paul selling Patron for five point four billion, was it or somewhere around there? Um, you hear those things. You've got a chance to be around some things and see some things. What's the thing that you were like? Holy, like I can't believe this thing is happening right now. Be a long answer. I was in uh, Spain with John Paul and he said, do you want to go to dinner tonight? I said, with who? He said, Monet's grandson and the guy that helps the Pope at the Vatican. And I said, are you sure you want to take me to the guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's a magical guy and I, I've got to say because, you know, in some ways kind of, you know, there's respect almost like a father. And sometimes it's kind of, I went, me and Mary went to his house after a gathering once, I was exhausted. And he kept insisting, and when JP insists, you can't really say no to JP, but 
He said, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going back to San Diego. We're exhausted. He said, no, I insist you come to my house in Malibu. I said, well, we're so exhausted. We're not going to be a lot of fun. So I tried to get out of it. He just insisted. Next thing he knew, I'm on his private jet. <laughs> so I go out to his pool site. He said, I'm just going to run an errand. So me and Mary are out there. I'm kind of just sort of dozing in his pool. And as I look up, he's above me with a little blanket. <laughs> me in. I'm like, okay, this is a little creepy. <laughs> You know, just some things when you're in these situations with a guy like this on a private jet flying around the world. Uh, once we, we had a buddy pass, so I was his buddy for Virgin Airlines, first class ticket. And JP, he loves me, but when we're going through security checks, <laughs> he creates professional distance from me. He's worried that I'm going to catch, I've got a bomb, I've got drugs or something. <laughs> Uh, this one time we're in Spain, that same trip, and we're making, he's making a commercial for Bichon, and for some reason they dressed him up as a priest. So for when I travel, I travel light. I don't have a lot of bags. I have bags, but I don't carry them. They're all checked. <laughs> so I don't have a, this or that. I just like to be free. So we get to the airport, and I see JP, and he's got this hang bag, and what it was was this costume, this priest's costume that he was going to carry all the way home from Spain and all through the flights. And I said, let me take that for you. And it was heavy as shit. I wished I hadn't, but I grabbed it. And then we walk up to the security check, and the guy goes, what's in the bag? I'm like, oh, this isn't going to sound good. It's a priest outfit. He's like, are you a priest? I said, no. <laughs> so, you know, just different things. Uh, hanging out with Bilal Sassoon, sitting on his lap, having fun with him. Uh, I've had just a, a beautiful life because of what I've chosen to do. And... Uh, Working with Paul Mitchell, when I met Paul, I couldn't utter a word. I couldn't say a thing. It was like meeting Jesus Christ. It was just amazing. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those things, if you could just imagine it, it can happen. So for me, um, I mean, lots of things. I, I mean, well, this year has been a great year because we just got married. We're on honeymoon number five. <coughs> We're going away to Puerto Vallarta next week. So we're having our first little honeymoon. Last year we went on a show with Angus, so Angus came with us on our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> little weird, this family. But, uh, you know, even then when, it, when we, we put it out there that we were going to get married and JP said, I don't want to presume you're going to invite me. Can you imagine him saying that? He wouldn't even assume I'd invite him. I said, no, you're coming. You're bringing the tequila. <laughs> and then he, so he said, if you are, just let me know so I can book the day out and then kind of one-on-one, -on -one. it was Anne that suggested, or how did we get involved with getting him to do the ceremony, do you remember? You asked him at Caper before he went on stage. <laughs> oh. So I asked him if he would do the, the part of it. Okay. And usually I'm in charge of JP, I don't know if you've ever seen us on stage, but you know, JP's there, and if something's going wrong, I gotta fix it, so it's kind of always fun to see us engage, but in the middle of our wedding, we had built in this beautiful book that he could just read from, it wasn't a Bible, but it was just notes that we had made, and he skipped a whole section, and it must have been Mary's favorite part, so she corrected him and rolled him back like I would at a show, going, no, you missed a bit, you've got to go back. And he said, well, he said at the end, I got a joke, you're going to love the joke, because I'm a comedian, so he always wants to make me laugh, and he's not by nature a funny guy, just saying that. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, well, he, he can say funny things, but I'm just saying he's not a joke teller, not that type of thing, you know. So, um, he said, oh, wait till you hear the joke at the end of the ceremony. So, the joke really was, as you know, they usually say, you can kiss the bride. Well, he said, everybody, Robert can kiss the bride, is what he said. And I, he went so quick, I missed it. I had no idea. But nobody kissed the bride. I got to do that honor. Uh, but he's a magical guy. And, um, you know, I don't think, for me... Uh, I would never work for another guy. This is a guy who's quite remarkable. This story is something I couldn't go be the Matrix guy or the Redken guy. It wouldn't work for me. It's kind of come up and being an idolizing of Paul and seeing this company grow from five products when I started to 500 today and just watching it. And there's been times this company has been very propelled by my existence. And as it grows bigger and bigger, it's not so critical that I'm around. It's all the schools and everything else is just getting bigger and bigger. So, and when I was around, it was really about protecting turf, getting people on board. And that's a lot how I met Kelly when he said he stopped me at the show. That's how I met Colin. Uh, people would come to the shows kind of like the way you go to Instagram now. People would come to the shows and they go around the trade show and that's what we were very good at. It's just speaking the truth to people doing a lot of hair. 
and I think it makes a difference. But uh, you know, it's a gifted life, and I think that you've got to take the opportunities when they come there. Uh, when I first got offered to go on a show, I didn't know I was going to get paid for it. And so I just thought I was going to go out of time, somebody else's time. And then years later, they, you know, then they paid me. I'm like, I get paid as well. Uh, it's just one of those jobs until you get into it and you realize the difference you can make. And I think it's very important that you make a difference in other people's lives. And I think, you think about Vidal, you think about Paul, this industry has been built on people to believe in. That's why I think Kelly's a very worthy leader, because he's worthy of believing in. Uh, so to me, what the industry needs more is people to believe in. Uh, there's not enough beautiful women on stage, like my beautiful wife there. She's an incredible educator. There should be more. It's a female industry here. You know, in some countries, Israel, it's all men. Italy, all men. It's a whole different hair show for me. You don't bring guys out in towels, you know. They don't have any, any, any interest in that. Do that in the States, they go crazy. But. You know, it, it, people need to be influenced by somebody and it's kind of got to be white light. It's got to be the love and the heart and the passion. And for me, I just did a tour in Australia and people said to me, I was ready to burn my salon down before I spoke to you. I mean, we can help people. We're like marriage guidance counselors for your business. We can help you see the other side of things and I think it makes a big difference. So, uh, you know, if it's in your pursuit, when you see a guy like him think, I could do that one day, that's kind of what happened to me. So when you kind of see it in others, and I would expect leadership to come out of this room. You know, just like it's come out of Brooklyn, but you know, get into that leadership role if you really mean it. It's about impacting and making, you, making people feel the way perhaps we make you feel. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And over all the things, you can get paid and money and drinks and all this stuff, but nothing has any worth compared to when you can light people up and make them laugh or make them feel they can do something, I just think we probably have the greatest job in the world that we get to do that. Hairdressers often have come out as damaged goods. We're the misfit toys. I'm happy to be the king of the misfit toys. So yeah, I don't have a degree, but look what I do have and look where I am smart. And I think that's really what we're getting down to. This is a business where if you love people, you can do well on it. And I think that other industries could learn from us. Doctors could learn from us. Lawyers, not your brother. But other lawyers, um, if ever you've had any situation with other professionals, they have no fun in their job, they're not exciting, they're no fun to be with, they never remember my name, I've been going there for 7, 18 visits, they still don't know who I am. I have this guy in my neighborhood who owns a restaurant and he just keeps calling me neighbor, hi neighbor. Like, when are you dumbass going to figure out that you could just ask my name? <laughs> uh, and then suddenly we'd be friends, but instead, hey neighbor, I'm like, what are you, state farm and neighbors? <laughs> just a little off. So, I'm just saying, this is a business that you've got to apply your sort of human nature. I love what Kelly said this morning, it's not all coming from Instagram. You've got to use your soft skills, go talk to strangers. Half of them are thinking you're weird anyway, confirm it with a business card. They already think you're strange. Confirm it. So to me, uh, I coach a lot of kids how to build a business. My top winner this year is rent a dog. You get a cute dog out and about, oh, and I love your little doggy. Tell people's kids they're always cute, even if they look like me. <laughs> You've got to get better at talking to strangers, kind of putting it out there. And I think it's a big part that hairdressers don't realize that if you're not networking, you're not working. And too many people rely on Instagram or perhaps on the reputation of a salon you work in. That's awesome that you can work in a place and you get a few clients, brilliant. But don't forget your responsibility, and that's your job, is to network and pick up people all over the place, whether you're, uh, you know, Mary and I had our skin checked a little while ago. Um, we did a couple skin check. That sounds pretty kinky. You should try that, Ted. <laughs> and after we left, we got the doctor and her two daughters in as clients. So anytime she goes for medical help, anytime she goes anywhere, we end up with more clients. So I'm just saying it's a, a thing you've got to kind of play with. What is she putting on behind me? I was looking for networking and networking. Okay. Well, I just, they were looking, I was just curious. Um, so, anyway. We so, we have, well, we have time uh, for a couple questions. Uh, who's got the first question for Ralph? Uh, no, they've got to be good because there's prizes attached. And yes, Rory and Ted, no questions from you, please. Yes. <laughs> first question for Ralph. Major jacket. Major jacket. Okay, where'd you get it? I will tell you where I got it, but I don't qualify that as the greatest question to get All right, that's perfect. So, I got this jacket in Los Angeles at uh, H. Lorenzo is the store, they also have a women's division. Uh, I buy a lot of eclectic things there. Um, if, if ever you're in Los Angeles on Sunset Plaza, it's a groovy store, you can go online. 
Uh, and a lot of the clothes I wear these days, my wife buys me. So she, I, I wasn't, I was gonna wear, I have this beautiful jacket with butterflies on it. My wife got me, she surprises me every year with some just amazing stuff. I posted so, it online, my sister thought I was a Oh. So, it must be a Japanese. Nice <laughs> I think it's Japanese. I like the Japanese. Japanese have a great skill set. So what else? Uh, Victoria. What would you say is the best piece of advice that you could give somebody who's trying to find like their particular clientele and their people? If they're in a new city or if they're in a new job in a new company, um, just like finding like where they're going to connect with people that are like them and that would want to be regular guests and come see them. I know, I just visited H2O. Mm -hmm. yeah. This lady goes to church, and boy oh boy, she's got the biggest clientele in uh, Baton Rouge. Church is a great way to build. Um, you know, it helps if you're religious. It wouldn't matter. Uh, I got captured at a kind of Judy's church, yeah, and yeah. they set me up. My friend was playing Jesus. Superstar or whatever, Morgan. Uh -huh. And Jeannie gave me a ticket to go, but they tried to trap me and try to save my soul. And Jeannie's part of a Christian coalition, and every time I'd see them at the shows, they go, We pray for you. And I always took that as being kind of like, Well, do I got horns? I mean, why do you pray for me? And then one of them explained to me, said, No, it means you're in our heart. So if we pray for you, it isn't the case that you're the devil, that we pray you get better. It's kind of you're in our heart, we love you. So I kind of understood it better, but I'm just saying what you want to find in like-minded people is people just like you, because if you're going to find, you know, bankers and they're not like you and you have no communication with them, you don't know what to talk about, that's not a great fit. So what I love about listening to my wife, when she does hair, she can have a conversation with anybody. As a hairdresser, you've got to be able to have conversation with all different types. So I would just say it kind of... It's like the hunt for Red October. You've got to keep your eye on it. You've got to think about when you leave here today, you're looking for people, whether you realize or not. <coughs> Too many people are looking for them on a slow day. Like, oh, I'm going to go network clients because I have no clients today. What you do is you build that habit today, and then you'll have clients. One of our coaches talks about today's service, tomorrow's traffic. If you're building that habit now, every time you mail a bill and put your business card in, every time you see people, strangers at the 7-Eleven, Tell them what it is you do. Uh, often hairdressers don't tell people what they do for a living. I want to get one of those Post Malone tattoos on my face saying, I'm a hairdresser. <laughs> Mother sucker. Uh, Mary did buy me the Post Malone tattoos. Uh, I haven't put them on yet because they last for three or four weeks, so I don't know how that, JP's going to love that when I show up with the Posty thing. But, I, you know, I, I think, so. too, one of the things that you had told me very early on, uh, I think it was Marla Maples that you used the, uh, the, uh, yeah. when you talked about that, but I think that a lot of times young people, um, we, they go looking for a clientele of what they are at that point as opposed to what they want to be. And <clears throat> you told a story about Marla Maples where you were at, the, uh, you were at a party and you said something to her. She was a very famous model at the time. And Robert said, come and see me because I'll give you a deal because that's where his mindset was. So I think a lot of times when we're going to build a, a clientele, as opposed to thinking about, hey, I wanna go and find people just like me. <clears throat> if you're not developed in who you really want to be, you don't really wanna attract what you are right now because then you'll stay in that place. So if you can put yourself in a place where, what I would suggest for every one of you is in the event that you're a shy person, <coughs> Go out and seek people who are outgoing because it'll cause you to be more outgoing. Does that make sense? If you're a really outgoing person, take it upon yourself that if you see a little bit of a shy person, that you can really lift them up and you can be the one that will be able to give them life on that day. And what that'll do is it'll stretch you. Like I've never seen you ever be in an environment where you couldn't own the room. I never saw you where you couldn't connect with any type of person. And I don't believe in my heart watching you I don't believe that's because that was born in. I, because, I believe that's because a muscle that you worked at all times. That you were, <clears throat> you could talk to the 75-year-old woman that was in the, you know, coming in and not, maybe not thinking that they were that beautiful. I watched it happen at the Mandalay with a woman who no one thought that that was that beautiful but had lost a lot of weight and you just made her come to life. So I think that a lot of us have the tendency to want to just zero in on one type of person, but learn from this guy where seriously, like how many of you guys have not been affected by him just in these last couple hours? Like in a way, like really rock you. 
And that's not, you know, I, he's a, you're a special guy, but you've also worked those muscles, you know, and seen those things. Well, just going to give you, first of all, a prize, because that was a business question. Yeah. These are your choices. I feel like Vanna White. Which one would you prefer? I got three to give. Oh, dryer. Oh, dryer. Yeah, I can't see. There's a glare. Oh, well, let's just come up closer to that, shall we? There you go. Get the Get the halo. Grip, 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 something for the future pros. If the ladies had highlights her whole life, that's the last person you want to start your new highlight on. You want to find the virgins in the world, you want to find people young like you, because even if you make a critical mistake, they're not going to know it. Whereas if you're dealing with somebody's mother that's had her hair done 17,000 times, she can spot your fraudulence right away. From the minute you put a foil in their hair, these don't feel tight. They just know it. So I'm just saying, find people just like you, because they grow with you. So we have a great store in Pacific Beach that does well. A lot of these clients start off, they don't have a lot of money, they get a budget haircut, but as they become doctors, lawyers, attorney, all this stuff, they grow. So you grow with them. And I just think it's a good thing because oftentimes you think, well, you know, oh, I want that client. I'm just saying, if a woman's 50 years old and been high highlighted her whole life, you don't want that one if you're just starting. That's something for me or Kelly to do, but I'm just saying, find the young people just like you, and that would be the, the, the sort of nucleus and find things you can do in your off time to make that happen. But do not just rely on Instagram, please. It's, it'll only do some of it. It's more for entertainment. It's like reading People magazine, it's fun. But don't rely on it, it's gonna bring in all your clients. For some people it can, but it's not for everybody. It's like not all of us get to win American Idol, you know what I mean? It's not for everybody, I'm just saying. A, a better way is to talk to strangers, not be scared of them. People say, Talk to straight. Well, if a walk-in comes in, what are they? They're a stranger. So what's the difference? You want a walk-in stranger? You want to go find your own? I just think we got to get better as an industry of finding new guests because that's the growth button, and that's where you'll feel the confidence when you're getting referrals from your own guests. You'll start to feel you've made it because you're feeling the love from them. Good answer. You got it. Um, so you had mentioned earlier that you went through lots of crazy hairstyles. And you've mentioned that your brand is being weird. How did you guys come into your brand? Because now your brand is your dreads and your beard. So how did you guys come into your brand? Well, you don't, I don't think I, you know, I think he consciously thought about his. It evolved. I mean, these things evolved, and when I watched you too, as far as your brand, I mean, I don't think that it was either one of us was really like, hey, I, I'm going to do this brand, and we have the seven steps to success, and then we're going to go and do those things. I think that when I've watched Robert, Robert has had the ability to adapt to whatever as he went, and he stayed relevant all the time. So I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but... You just continue to be a better version of yourself every year that I've known you. Let me just talk about this because I work for JP. I don't own Paul Mitchell, but he's allowed me to be this brand within his brand. I know for Kelly and I as owners, that's what we want. We want you to be superstars. So you don't, you know, we're not just saying, oh, we're the big bosses. We know we, we need you all to be superstars. That's the fact of it. And I think some companies, it's about the owner and that's it. If you're not shining, we're not doing our job right. That's the kind of key part to it. So. Uh, to me, I think I was at a Paul Mitchell event the first time I heard it, and they were talking about branding, and they say, Robert Cromie's the brand. I go, I my brand. I go, well, it could be the hundreds of thousands of t-shirts we sold, Shauna. Uh, I used to have panties with my face on it. So, awesome. In the front. Uh, in the front. <laughs> Shauna had to point that out, not in the back. Right. That would have been said, my, your ass, my face. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't dirty. They were kind of like, you're, my daughter could wear it going to gym or something. They weren't like sexy thongs. They were kind of like gym pants. But we had um, we had done the show with fur coats, fake fur coats, and to make the look come together, we 
decided to put panties in one of my designers said let's put your face on it and dig and people loved it so much they started buying them a lot of them and there's nothing more funny when you see JP going over the booth they go what are these uh, it was pretty funny so uh, we had a t-shirt I run with scissors we sold a lot of these so I didn't realize at the time I was a brand that I was doing all this stuff and then it sort of snuck up on me and then when you hear Instagram and then we start buying your brand but for Paul Mitchell's brand for Kelly's brand for my brand it's about making the stars of you. JP loves me so much because I'm a star within his organization. And as much as he is a rock star, he needs other people to keep this machine going. So I'm one of those chosen people, as well as many others. So, you know, that brand thing happens when you least expect it. I don't think you target it, because if you did, you may make a plan that you don't want to stick with. It's because sometimes you don't really know. And a lot of the greatest brand decisions were all made by accident. You know, they were all things that they were thinking of one thing and then went a different direction and then look what happened. 